The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Let's go to the legislature right now for our daily update. We'll start with Premier Kenny. Good afternoon. I'm here for today's uh, update on COVID-19 for the government of Alberta, joined by Chief Medical Officer for Health, Dr. Hinshaw, as well as Minister McIver from Transportation and Minister Schultz of uh, Children's Services. In our province and across Canada and around the world, but particularly in the United States and parts of Europe, the number of novel coronavirus infections and deaths continues to rise. Today's global number of reported infections is approaching 900,000, and the number of deaths attributed to the virus is roughly 45,000. The Canadian totals are 8,600 identified infections and just over 100 deaths. Here in Alberta, testing has confirmed 117 new cases over the last 24 hours, bringing the total to 871. This large jump in the number of new infections in Alberta is due mainly to the fact that Alberta Health Services processed a large number of backlog tests, indeed over 4,500 over the past 24 hours, a record number for a single day. That backlog had developed because of a temporary shortage of reagents, an essential element in the testing. We now have an adequate stock of those supplies. We also must share the sad news that two more Albertans have died as a result of COVID-19. Our deepest sympathies go out to the loved ones of those who have been lost. This has been the toughest week of the pandemic for our province with the number of deaths increasing by eight to a total of 11. Dr. Hinshaw will provide more details about today's numbers, but we need to be upfront with Albertans. The hard truth is is that things will get worse before they get better. That said, Alberta's pandemic response is strong. Uh, we continue to lead all provinces in per capita testing, and indeed we continue to lead most of the world, and we have one of the highest uh, testing rates, as I say, in, in the developed world. Alberta Health Services expects to take delivery within uh, days of new COVID rapid testing kits that will expand our capacity by thousands of tests per day. The more we test, the better informed we'll be about where the numbers are headed and the better we can plan for the healthcare response. It's important to note that so far, uh, only about 2% of those tested for COVID-19 have been confirmed as positive in Alberta. And bear in mind that that is testing a very small group of people who show, show symptoms or who are in high-risk groups. Moreover, based on the trajectory of new cases in this province and uh, the number of cases hospitalized, we're confident that we have the healthcare personnel and equipment that we need to cope with anticipated hospitalizations, including in intensive care units. And uh, we will have more to say about all of this in the days to come. I intend to present uh, AHS's modeling for the, the weeks to come, uh, uh, the peak and the path forward. We can also take some comfort in the clear evidence that the vast majority of people who become infected will experience mild illness and experience full recovery. In countries that were among the first affected and took countermeasures similar to the ones that we've taken, the number of recovered cases is at 55% of total infections and rising.
In Alberta, the number of recovered cases is already 142, over 16% uh, of total infections. In British Columbia, it's over 50%. There, uh, of course, their first infection was, I think, three weeks before Alberta's. Once again, I must acknowledge the outstanding performance and effort of the tens of thousands of Albertans who are leading the fight to protect public health and safety. From the brilliant pandemic planners and managers at Alberta Health Services, uh, to the steady leadership of our chief medical officer, to the doctors, nurses, and all frontline healthcare workers, to the countless unsung heroes providing uh, the entire spectrum of essential services, Alberta is, is rising to the challenge of this pandemic. Today I want to issue a call to action in support of a particular group of those unsung heroes, Alberta's truck drivers. Yesterday, I drove on the QE2 from Calgary back to Edmonton. Car traffic was light, but I saw dozens of trucks going north and south on that key artery of Alberta's economy. Every one of those semi-trailers was carrying the essentials we need. Food, pharmaceutical supplies, medical equipment, fuel, agricultural products, inputs needed for the upcoming seeding in, in, the, in our farms, and all the other products needed to provide the daily essentials of our lives and just basically keep our society functioning. And so on behalf of the government and the people of Alberta, I want to salute and thank those truck drivers for all that they are doing under trying circumstances during this pandemic. And I want to call on all Albertans, let's all find some way to acknowledge and to thank the truck drivers without whom we could not continue to function, without whom our supply lines uh, would be compromised. So when you go to a grocery store and, and see that uh, most everything is in stock, it's thanks to those truck drivers who continue to work around the clock. Uh, because of COVID-19, many restaurants, hotels, and rest stops along our highways are struggling with reduced income and employee shortages, which has forced some of them to curtail operations or even to shut down. With the recent closure of sit-down operations in restaurants, part of the necessary efforts to control the spread, of course, many have switched, many restaurants have switched to drive-through or delivery-only options. That's a challenge for large trucks that obviously can't access drive-through lanes. And for the drivers, it limits their access to washrooms as well. These drivers are working long hours away from home on long-haul trips. We need to keep them fed, fueled, and rested. Some restaurants have stepped up and made changes to their operations to make their establishments more accessible to truck drivers. And I want to, in particular, thank McDonald's Canada uh, for their initiative uh, implementing curbside uh, delivery using their, uh, their wireless app. Uh, I've written to the CEO of that company thanking them for this uh, initiative and for making their restrooms available in many cases for truckers. Some Tim Hortons locations have provided similar options for long-haul truckers. I also want to note that the Alberta Motor Transport Association website is providing comprehensive, up-to-date information about which restaurants, hotels and rest stops are operating uh, their hours and the services that they're able to provide. I'm also pleased to report that Alberta Transport has reopened uh, almost all of their uh, roadside rest stops. Unfortunately, uh, early on in the pandemic, we saw people going in multiple times a day uh, raiding the uh, sanitary supplies in those washrooms. Uh, so I ask people, please 
Show some basic decency and some basic consideration. Don't do stupid things like that that just make life harder for our truckers to keep us uh, supplied all across Alberta society. So we're trusting people just to show some decency in reopening those rest stops. Today I'm also calling on restaurants to temporarily allow heavy truck and long haul drivers to walk up uh, to the drive through window to place their order and allow them access to washrooms. I've written to the presidents of all the major fast serve uh, chains in Canada as well as Restaurants Canada on that regard. Uh, this will maintain our COVID-19 physical distancing protocols while ensuring truckers can stay on the road. I've written a letter, as I say, uh, and we look forward to response from all of those restaurant chains. Uh, I can also report that in the, uh, I think probably on Friday, the Minister of Transportation will be releasing a series of measures to, uh, in the short term, re relax some of the rules that are inhibiting uh, the uh, long-haul truckers from operating uh, and while, while maintaining, of course, uh, public safety on the roads. So our second announcement today relates to increasing the availability of childcare for all essential workers. We're extending childcare spaces to all essential service uh, workers to accommodate their childcare needs. All of these facilities will still be limited to 30 people, including staff, and must adhere to strict sanitation practices uh, based on instructions from Dr. Hinshaw. Tens of thousands of Albertans are continuing to go to work every single day to provide the huge range of essential services needed to keep everyone safe and supplying the necessities of life. Many are parents and the provision of childcare for them is itself an essential service. And that's why the government of Alberta is expanding eligibility to ensure that the safe, secure childcare they need as we work through the COVID challenge. The last thing I'd like to underscore is that the government of Alberta is bringing three pieces of legislation uh, to the assembly this week that are necessary to implement some of the extraordinary measures to protect public health and safety, but also uh, to protect our economy. Bill 10 is the Public Health Emergency Powers Amendment Act, and it provides for law enforcement agencies to have full authority to enforce public health orders during the pandemic. It gives legislative effect to ministerial orders issued under the Public Health Act, which we announced last week, uh, and keeps our commitment to submit to those to the uh, legislature. And I, am, I can also confirm that by ministerial order, we will also be expanding the enforcement authority uh, to des designate uh, municipal bylaw officers as being able to enforce public health orders. Bill 10 is the Tenancy Statutes Emergency Provisions Amendment Act, and that ensures that no one will be retroactively charged for residential rent increases or late fees while the state of public health emergency is in effect, again, giving legislative effect to an announcement, uh, I believe, last Friday. Uh, and uh, we are working on additional measures to support renters and landlords, both residential and commercial. Finally, Bill 12, the Liabilities Management Statutes Amendment Act, will enable government to clarify and enable uh, expanded delegated authority for the Orphan Well Association to maintain and manage orphan sites. The last measure is a critical part of our efforts to keep as many Albertans as possible working and our economy moving as we face a double whammy of the global recession and the collapse in energy prices. Uh, we have been working very closely with the Government of Canada and are optimistic about a forthcoming investment in accelerated oil well reclamation that could put thousands of uh, Albertans, particularly from the oil field services sector, back to work in good high paying jobs uh, when 
we need them so desperately now. Uh, the government of Alberta is working around the clock to protect the health and safety of Albertans, to keep our supplies and economy moving, to protect jobs, and to set the stage for the post-COVID recovery. And with that, uh, is, uh, are we going to hear from one of the ministers or directly to Dr. Hinshaw? Dr. Hinshaw, please go ahead. Thank you, Premier. Thank you for being here this afternoon. I want to start by acknowledging that while we are focusing on COVID-19, I know that many Albertans continue to face a wide range of other health issues every single day. Babies are still being born, essential surgery is still taking place, people are still receiving care after suffering injuries while others are receiving cancer treatments. Deaths are still occurring from a wide range of illnesses. While we are focusing on the pandemic before us, I want to stress that all lives are important and our health system cares about all of them. As the Premier noted, since yesterday, we have now confirmed 117 new cases of COVID-19. This brings the total number of cases in Alberta to 871. I know this large jump in cases might seem alarming. It is the result, as the Premier mentioned, of our provincial labs completing a backlog of tests now that they are back to working at full capacity. We have conducted, as you heard, more than 4,500 tests in the last 24 hours. Of these, around 98% came back negative, an indicator in line with previous days. Last night, we also passed a significant milestone with over 50,000 tests completed. I would like to again acknowledge the tremendous work of our laboratory, which continues to lead many other jurisdictions in testing per capita. We continue to see cases rising in the province. We suspect 94 of our total cases may be community transmission, an increase of 24 from yesterday. I am pleased to share that we can confirm, as you heard, 142 Albertans have recovered. That is 22 more than yesterday. Sadly, as you also heard, I must report two additional deaths related to COVID-19. One was a male in his 80s in the North Zone, another a male in his 80s in the Calgary Zone. I wish to convey my heartfelt condolences to the family and friends of these individuals. Every loss of life is a tragedy, whether due to COVID-19 or some other reason. It is also a call to action to do everything we can to stop the spread and limit transmission. At this moment, my greatest concern is about the health and safety of those in continuing care and other congregate settings. Alberta currently has 41 cases of COVID-19 in continuing care facilities. This includes outbreaks in four locations across the province. To date, 35 cases have been confirmed at the Mackenzie Town Long-Term Care Centre. One case has been confirmed at Care West Glenmore Park. One case has been confirmed at the Father Lacombe Nursing Home. And four cases at Shepherd's Care Kensington. Each of these outbreaks needs and has received close attention. Shepherd's Care and Care West Glenmore Park have had no new cases for many days. Alberta Health Services is working closely with each site to do everything possible to protect residents while also ensuring they continue to get the daily care and support that they need. Strict infection prevention protocols have been implemented at each site to stop the spread. 
Updated operational standards are now required by law at all congregate settings to further protect the residents and staff in these facilities. This includes requiring enhanced cleaning multiple times every day and daily screening of all staff. Alberta Health Services Medical Officers of Health are also in daily contact with sites on outbreak and where needed are providing additional support to make sure enhanced care and cleaning standards are followed. These are measures that are being followed across Canada and have been proven to stop outbreaks of influenza and other viruses. Yet I am still concerned about potential cases. We are actively looking at what other steps can be taken to protect the residents at these facilities and I plan to have more to say in the coming days. I know that many Albertans are concerned about the well-being of their loved ones. I am as well. It is now April 1st. The virus was first identified in Wuhan in late December. I know that many Albertans are tired and concerned and it might feel like it's impossible to think or talk about anything other than COVID-19. It is important to stay vigilant and help prevent the spread of COVID-19 as best as you can. But it is just as necessary to take care of your overall health, both physical and mental. I have heard concerns from family physicians that patients are afraid of seeking care due to concerns about COVID-19. It is important to connect with your doctor to discuss any concerns that you have. This is true whether you're experiencing COVID-19 related symptoms or for an unrelated health issue. You can call ahead and speak with your doctor. They can support you through a virtual visit if necessary. If you are on self-isolation because you have returned from travel or have been in contact with a case of COVID, but you have a critical health appointment that you need to attend, please talk to your doctor about how you can safely do that. I have created an exemption for this purpose as long as the healthcare setting that you are visiting is aware that you are on self-isolation and can take the appropriate steps to make sure that you can receive care safely and to keep others safe as well. I have also created an exemption to make it clear that those with symptoms who have an appointment can leave their home to go for the purposes of COVID testing as long as this is done safely and in accordance with directions from 811. I know we are all concerned about COVID-19 and this can sometimes lead us to inappropriate behaviour. Yesterday, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta and the Alberta College of Pharmacy issued a statement that noted that there has been an increase in the number of prescriptions for certain antivirals, antibiotics and antimalarial therapies that have been touted as potential treatments for COVID-19. Some reports received by the two colleges include reports of prescribing for office use, personal use and for family members. This is inappropriate. While different research projects are underway to assess effectiveness of these therapies, there is no robust evidence yet on treatment. These behaviours must stop. These very same medications are used for patients suffering from chronic conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus and HIV. In a time when there are serious concerns about potential shortages of medication, any misuse, stockpiling or inappropriate prescribing or dispensing should not happen.
Let this be a call to all of us trusted to prescribe and dispense medication. We, above all others, must remember to put our trust and faith in evidence-based care. I know that physicians and pharmacists want to help their patients, and for physicians who are interested in enrolling patients in research studies underway on experimental therapies, we will send information out in the coming days so physicians who want their patients to have access to these therapies can put them in touch with the right people. We are all impacted by COVID-19, and I know that we all want this pandemic to be over tomorrow. There is unfortunately no vaccine or proven treatment for COVID-19. That is one of the challenges with this virus. However, there are simple, effective things that all of us can do to reduce the risk of infection for ourselves and those around us. Stay home if you're sick. Clean your hands regularly with an alcohol-based rub or soap and water. Practice physical distancing while embracing social connectedness. And finally, help and support those around you. One of my staff lives in a condo building that recently created a list where residents who are elderly or self-isolating can request groceries or other materials, and they are purchased the next day by healthy neighbors living in the building. This is a great example of the community spirit that we must all embrace in the days ahead. We are all in this together, and each of us must do everything we can to flatten the curve and keep Albertans healthy. Thank you, and I believe Am I turning it over? We'll take questions now. Okay. Go ahead, Dean. <clears throat> A question for the Premier, please. <clears throat> Premier, sorry, I've got to jam it all up into one again, so it's a, it's a two-parter. Uh, I think layoffs are beginning today in the Ed system. Uh, I'm just seeking uh, clarification on how we got here and where we're going. Uh, two weeks ago, Premier, you and the Education Minister, you stood at a podium, you closed schools, and you promised Albertans that full funding would be done for education for the rest of the year. Two weeks later, of course, things have changed. Why the rollback? Was this a promise made in haste that shouldn't have been made? People made prompt plans based on this? Or was there something specific in the last two weeks that forced you to do that? That's part A. Part B is where do we go from here? As you mentioned in your opening remarks here, the mental health of Albertans, health of Albertans is important, includes mental health. Parents are saying this really impacts special needs kids. Will you commit to perhaps revisiting some of these reductions to at least make sure that special needs kids can get the educational system help they need? Sure. So first of all, Dean, uh, when the difficult decision was made to close the schools on March the 16th, uh, we committed to continue to offer educational support, and that's why uh, teachers continue to be engaged, uh, as well as staff, including speech-language pathologists, occupational therapists, mental health workers, and physiotherapists, all of whom will continue to provide specialized supports and services for students, in addition to which uh, the program unit funding, which is for uh, younger special needs kids, continues to flow to school authorities so they can tailor their services uh, to continue supporting uh, the most vulnerable students. And in addition to that, nutrition uh, is very important, so school authorities have the flexibility to either continue administering their own nutrition programs or provide uh, their funding to local uh, not-for-profit organizations, ensuring that kids don't go hung hungry if they don't have a replacement for an at-school uh, lunch program, for example. So uh, we continue to provide uh, uh, educational services. I understand that school boards and superintendents are still working through, in some cases, how best to do that. Um, the Minister of Education was contacted after the closure of the schools by 
by uh, many school boards and superintendents across the province saying that there were large numbers of staff and employees who were no longer working. And in particular, they indicated the school bus contractors, uh, many support services, and many teaching assistants. Um, several of those school boards indicated to the Minister of Education that they intended to, to lay those individuals off as they were not working any longer, which is generally what sadly happened across the economy as there have been uh, so many shutdowns. Um, and the Minister decided that uh, the, the with support of Cabinet that there should be a uniform position across the province. Secondly, if the school boards were to have done those layoffs themselves, uh, they would have kept that, that budget but not spend it on staff. We, we, Our view was that the school board expenditures are going down markedly right now, but provincial expenditures are going up by billions and billions of dollars. In fact, we've committed over $9 billion in uh, cash support and deferrals uh, to support Albertans during these trying times. So while the school board expenses were going down because of a lack of work and they were going to do these layoffs in many cases, probably not, perhaps not all, we saw our expenses going up by billions of dollars. And I'll give you one example. The emergency isolation payments, we budgeted $50 million for that. Uh, we're going to blow past that $50 million, and I expect it to be much, much higher than originally intended. So um, this uh, this change allows us to find that, that those funds. And let me also tell you, Dean, that, uh, and I briefed uh, the Leader of the Opposition on this, uh, this should not be a, a, a surprise to people, uh, but in... Um, uh, since uh, the beginning of the pandemic and the uh, concurrent economic crisis, uh, we uh, have uh, had to more closely follow our cash position as a government than we pro have had to probably for several decades. Um, I understand that the government of Newfoundland and Labrador today indicated that they are unable uh, to roll over their debt. We cannot take for granted the fiscal uh, health of Alberta with a triple whammy of the pandemic, the recession, and the oil price crash. And so uh, the concept of, of, of paying folks who are not working is very difficult with the billions of additional dollars we're spending and the revenue floor falling out from underneath us. So that's all part of the broader context. Let me say that you, you, we're, uh, I'm troubled for anybody who's been laid off or lost their income as a result of this crisis. Tens of thousands of small businesses have closed. They don't know if they're going to be able to open their doors when this is all over. Hundreds of thousands of people in the private sector have been laid off. They don't know if they're going to have jobs coming back. These folks in the, in the uh, government and the education sector will, I think almost without exception, be coming back to jobs when the schools reopen. They have that certainty and they also have access to the extraordinary supports for income uh, that are being provided by both the federal and provincial governments. Operator, can you please put through the first caller? First question is David Staples with the Edmonton Journal. Go ahead, David. Hi, my question is uh, for Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, we heard from uh, the Quebec Premier yesterday about uh, his concern about supplies being low and perhaps running out of the next week there. My question is, how are things going in Alberta on this front? For instance, how many masks per day do we use at our hospitals, like in terms of government use, um, frontline workers, and how many, how many do we have supply for? And the same goes for test kits. How many do we use per day, and how long will our supply last? And for both masks and test kits, um, 
when can we expect, like, have we set up a supply line so when they do run out, uh, we'll have more when, when needed? So I'll maybe start and then Dr. Jaffe may have more specific uh, information about within the health system, within Alberta Health Services. Uh, so at the moment, we have sufficient supplies to respond and that includes personal protective equipment. Uh, we've said earlier that our, our lab, in terms of the testing that our lab does, they developed their own um, testing processes, so they don't actually have a kit per se, but they do need the supplies that uh, make up the ability to test. And we did get a shipment of reagent earlier this week, which means that we are able now to test large volumes again. As you heard, over the last 24 hours, the lab tested the largest volume that they have to date. Uh, so we are working on procurement both of lab testing supplies as well as personal protective equipment. Though we have sufficient at the moment, we obviously need to be able to sustain this response in the, the days to come. So that's being done and maybe I'll, I'll ask Dr. Jaffe to speak a little bit with respect to supplies for Alberta Health Services uh, and then with respect to supplies for the, the rest of sort of frontline workers outside of health services, that's probably a question best addressed to our Provincial Operations Centre or perhaps uh, Premier as we are working in a coordinated way across government to be able to meet those, those needs. So I'll maybe ask Dr. Jaffe to speak specifically about AHS. So thank you, Dr. Hinshaw. Let me first uh, offer a shout out to the incredible women and men who are running our laboratories within Alberta Health Services and who are on the front lines every single day dealing with this uh, incredible challenge that's in front of us. Every single day, the women and the men of Alberta Health Services come to work, look after patients, look after all of the needs that, that are there and I just want to offer my incredible thanks to all of them. So the question is about supplies and specifically I think it's about personal protective equipment. Uh, we had a, de a detailed discussion about this just yesterday. Uh, we actually have uh, a three to four month supply of most of the items of personal protective equipment that will be required by our frontline healthcare workers. The supply is slightly less for the N95 respirators that are used under specific circumstances. Uh, and uh, of course we are in the process of sourcing additional supplies should they be needed. We do have sufficient supplies on hand currently with plans to bring in additional supplies as needed. Uh, we need to communicate this and in fact we're just sorting out exactly how we're going to do this. We want to communicate with our frontline staff that we do have the supplies to keep them protected and we will keep them protected. If I could just add to that, uh, David, in saying that um, it's our intention to come forward and present Albertans with a fairly detailed uh, briefing on our modeling for the pandemic in Alberta and our capacity to cope with it. We think it's important to be uh, transparent as we can, uh, but to just to uh, reaffirm uh, Dr. Jaffe's comment, we are briefed that uh, I, I want to commend AHS for having been very well prepared for this kind of a, a pandemic, uh, as I have 
I've pointed out before, Alberta's had a pandemic uh, influenza plan uh, is since 2014, and it was exercised last November. And part of that plan was to stockpile equipment and supplies for an event such as this. So uh, we are confident that we have adequate supplies in most respects. Of course, we are continuing to try to source additional supplies. I will will have a presentation at one of these briefings in the next few days about some of our efforts to increase uh, innovative forms of domestic procurement here in Alberta and across uh, Canada. We continue to receive a lot of great offers about producing equipment like masks and, and uh, also innovative approaches to testing. Uh, so um, while we have a considerable stockpile, we do want redundant uh, supplies as well and we are working on that both through extraordinary overseas procurement efforts and innovative domestic procurement. Uh, and I also, before I take the next question, I wanted to add a couple, uh, something to uh, Dean Bennett's question by pointing out that um, the, uh, with respect to educational assistance, uh, we uh, suspended the schools on March the 16th, and they are going to get paid uh, until the end of April, April 30th. So that is six weeks. Uh, if they are active, if, they're, if they are assisting teachers with online education, they can do so uh, with compensation through to the end of this month. Or if they're not working, that's six weeks notice, which is six weeks more than most people in the private sector who have been laid off. I would also point out that, that the contractors, the bus drivers, the uh, janitorial workers, uh, and the, the, the uh, teaching uh, assistants, and the uh, substitute teachers would all are, are uh, would would not be working in the months of uh, July and August in any event. So uh, again, we feel badly for everybody that's affected by this, but I think uh, uh, the situation of those folks is is uh, much less grave than than many others in Alberta. All right, we'll come back to the floor. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, this is a question for Dr. Hinshaw, I believe. Um, in the last week or so, we've heard that we we're changing the way that testing was going to be done. Uh, you know, people coming back may not be tested as much. Um, it sounds like we may be now testing back to how we were with more tests being administered every day. I was just curious, is that happening or are we sticking with some of the new guidelines still? So we're still testing the groups of people that I've talked about before. So uh, anyone who's in hospital who has uh, respiratory symptoms, anyone who is a part of, we have a, a surveillance system, so certain family doctors who test, uh, they would be doing these kinds of tests, testing for COVID. Anyone in a long-term care, continuing care facility, any staff in long-term care, continuing care, any healthcare workers. Uh, so all of those groups of people are being tested. And we, uh, the, the shift in terms of the volume right now was because of the challenge with reagent. So we did have swabs that had been done over the last several days that we couldn't run through the lab. So this volume of 4,500 that have been done over the last 24 hours was the result of several days worth of swabbing. Uh, but certainly we continue to look at our testing protocols, look at our numbers and to assess uh, whether and how we can best use our, our capacity. So that is ongoing. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Next question is James Keller with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, James. Hi, this is a question for Dr. Hinshaw. Yesterday when you were talking about the McKenzie Town facility, you mentioned that some sort of protocols weren't in place quick enough. Uh, could you expand on that? What was supposed to have been done that wasn't? How long did that go on for? And how might that have contributed to the speed and severity of the outbreak there? So uh, I don't have the specific details in terms of timeline. What I would say is that in every um, every year, our 
uh, continuing care, long-term care sectors are contacted by public health to talk about what's called an influenza-like illness outbreak protocol. So it's very standard and routine that we would expect any long-term care facility or continuing care facility that has uh, two or more residents who have cough, fever, um, those kinds of illnesses, that they would report that to public health and that those individuals would be kept in their rooms uh, and that the appropriate uh, outbreak precautions would be implemented. Uh, so all I can say is that when I've been talking with my colleagues at the local level, um, I've been told that the reporting of the illnesses uh, happened later than they would have wished. Uh, I don't know the details or the timeline, but I also think that what's really important to focus on uh, is the go forward and the lessons that we can learn from this, because I think what's really clear is that any continuing care, any congregate care site uh, that might be might have been thinking, well, it's the end of influenza season, uh, so maybe not as necessary to be vigilant. I'm not necessarily saying that was the attitude at Mackenzie Town. I don't know. I, I wasn't directly in touch with them. Uh, but what we really need to focus on is lessons learned going forward, that we would want any resident of any long-term care or continuing care facility who has cough, fever, runny nose, sore throat, uh, shortness of breath that's new for them. We understand some people have, for example, chronic cough, and if that continues unchanged, then that's not a red flag. But if it changes, if something new happens, uh, then that individual should be isolated. They should be put uh, in their own room with precautions so that any staff caring for them would be using personal protective equipment. Uh, and those are the kinds of things, again, that I think it's important to learn going forward, that immediate isolation of anyone who's sick, contacting public health, arranging for testing, making sure that if there is a, even one confirmed case of COVID-19 in any facility, uh, that immediately that facility would shut down common activities, would make sure that cleaning was enhanced over and above what typically is, uh, and would look at other measures to make sure that the risk of spread from that resident to staff uh, or other residents is minimized. And, and again, I think rather than focusing on that one particular case, I think the important thing is to say, here's what all facilities need to be doing. Uh, and again, we are working on mechanisms to make sure that that is very clear and enforceable in the days ahead. So I hope to have more to say within the next few days on that. All right, we'll come back to the floor. Go ahead. This is also a question for Dr. Hinshaw. Um, today out in, in the community, we saw some folks gathering in groups outside banks, I believe, to pick up social assistance checks. Is there something that um, banks should be doing to try to help those people stay safe or that those folks can do themselves when they're you know, waiting to, to get the money that they need? So I think it's a good question and whether it's a group outside a bank or a group at a bus stop or kind of any any group that's um, waiting to access a particular service or a facility. I think the important thing for anyone who's helping those people to do would be to remind them to, as much as possible, stay two meters apart. If it is, for example, a bank, uh, perhaps then someone can go and, and ask that group to make sure that they're, they're spread out or when they come into that location, into the bank, that they're, again, 
and reminded and, and helped to stay two meters apart that there's hand sanitizer or places for them to wash their hands. Uh, and again, really important that if anyone does have symptoms, that they're asked to not come into a business and that there may be some other way. Again, it's difficult if somebody is needing to cash a check. That's a difficult thing to do virtually. Uh, but thinking about other ways that perhaps people might be able to um, access services other than in person if they're feeling unwell. All right, I'll go back to the phone operator. Can you put through the next caller? Next question is Rick Bell with the Calgary Sun. Go ahead, Rick. Uh, this is a question for uh, for Dr. Hinshaw, and if the Premier wants to weigh in as well, he can, but it's primarily for the, for the doctor. Um, I just want to know what, what when, when people hear about over 100 new cases, should Albertans just think, hey, what the heck? It's a backlog. We just made up the backlog. It's no big deal. Because that seemed to be kind of the message I was hearing at the beginning. But maybe my hearing's getting bad in my old age. I don't know. Um, so I guess I'm wondering and giving you a chance, uh, doctor, to explain how should Albertans see this? Well, how, what should they see when they see the number 871? Should they think, wow, it's just a backlog, it's no big deal, or should they think it's a big deal? So I think when Albertans see the number of 871, they should be concerned. I am concerned. Uh, I think the the reason we focused on the, the backlog piece is that from day to day, in terms of what we report of new cases, uh, we're only able to report what's been tested, but that's not a reflection of the number of people who get ill every day. So again, uh, what we're seeing is numbers that have been compressed. And so the, the point that I, I'm trying to make with respect to the backlog comment is that that we did see a couple of days earlier this week where we had quite low numbers. Today obviously is a very high number, but the overall percentage of the tests that we're getting that are testing positive is relatively constant. And so I think Albertans should be concerned. Again, I am concerned, and that's not because of the, the number that's specifically today. It's because we are seeing again about that 2% positive rate in our tests over the last several days. And what I um, am wanting to do, I'm working with my surveillance and epidemiology team to look at the last several days of data that we've received because we did just change our testing protocols uh, earlier this week. And so by the end of this week, my plan is to be able to tell Albertans, what does this data mean? How should we be reacting with respect to, are there particular locations or groups that we think are more at risk? And does this change in terms of our focus on particular areas? So I apologize if that came across that I was saying that people shouldn't be concerned but my point is that people should be as concerned about the number of cases we have today as they were about the number of cases yesterday and the day before because our percent positivity this week has been relatively stable. So the total number, again, is a reflection simply of the number of cases that were tested. Uh, and all of those cases are concerning. I hope that clarifies and I don't know if Premier has anything to add. Uh, sure, Rick. I'll just add to that. Uh, the doctor, of course, is absolutely right. People should be concerned with any uh, positive results uh, in terms of testing confirmation of the uh, virus. Now, 
uh, Alberta has a higher rate of testing than all the other provinces, which means we're going to show a, a relatively higher number of confirmed infections. Um, that is unfortunate and, and every one of those cases concerns us, but it also means we have more information to use to trace, control, and contain positive cases. So uh, that is a sign of how strong our public health system is in Alberta. Second key point I want to put out there is uh, we expect to see the number of tests being done in Alberta to continue to increase. Uh, we've, uh, as I just mentioned in my statement, uh, have some new and different supplies on order that's going to increase the number of tests, the number of infected cases will likely go up as the number of tests goes up. So uh, as long as we see a relatively constant uh, percentage of, uh, of tests coming out positive, we shouldn't be too alarmed because as, as the number of tests goes up, what we're really seeing is a more effective health system so that we can control the spread. I'll come back to the floor. Go ahead, Julia. Hi, this is for Dr. Hinshaw. With the number of cases that are suspected to be community transmission on the rise, what other uh, proactive measures can continuing care facilities take? And what would your advice be to Albertans who may be considering taking their loved ones out of these facilities? So with respect to proactive measures, I think the uh, there are several legal requirements for continuing cares with respect to making sure that anyone who comes to with the intention of going into that continuing care facility, whether it's a staff member, whether it's a worker who's been contracted to fix a broken sink, whoever is coming into those facilities gets a symptom check, they have a temperature check, they have to go through a symptom check, and if they're ill, they don't come in. So I think that's one of the things that's already been put in place. With respect to additional measures, uh, we currently have restricted the visitors to only one designated essential visitor per resident. And certainly when, when we're looking at sites that have uh, experienced an outbreak, visitor further visitor restrictions is something that could be considered. And the question of whether or not people should be considering taking their loved ones out of these uh, care centres, I think that's really an individual decision because we know that uh, the people, especially who are in long-term care often have very complex care needs and so it would be important as families are wondering you know maybe I should I take my my loved one and have them stay at home with us for a certain time they'll have to be thinking about the care needs of that person whether they can be provided for uh, at home safely and I also want people to know that the reasons that we're putting all of these additional measures in place is that we are as concerned about the safety of people in these continuing care facilities uh, as people are about their families. This is a very high priority and so again I think it's a, a matter of making sure that as people are considering that they talk to those facilities, uh, they understand what's being done to protect their loved one in that particular facility and they understand what the implications might be if they if they took them home uh, and again that's a very individual decision so it would be a difficult one to advise on. Okay we'll go back to the phone. Operator can you put through the next caller please? question is Jason Herring with the Calgary Herald. Go ahead, Jason. Hey, good afternoon. Uh, in a letter from your office, Dr. Hinshaw, uh, you've made an exemption for shelters with space restrictions to only need a minimum one meter distance between people instead of two meters, uh, as has been recommended for other instances. 
Uh, how, how did you come to that decision? So in that particular exemption, I want to be clear about the specificity. So that was where uh, in a shelter people have mats that they're sleeping on. And so the requirement was that the mats that they're sleeping on uh, had to be at least one meter apart and the individuals sleeping on those mats needed to be positioned uh, head to toe, which is to say that the um, the people who are lying next to each other are not just one meter apart from one head to another, but they're actually further apart uh, because of the diagonal distance between the two heads. So there were both things were required, the one meter spacing of mats, as well as the diagonal placement. Um, and there's also a requirement in that exemption that during the day when there are services being provided or when uh, there's multiple individuals there, that the two meter spacing be kept in those instances. And the reason for that exemption was because we know that uh, if we were to require two meters between mats, which again would be even more than two meters with that diagonal spacing, that the number of people that a shelter could accommodate uh, would be reduced by half. And so it's trying to weigh out the risks to those individuals who need to use those shelters with respect to transmission uh, and the risks of having them potentially out in the cold, despite the fact that it's April, it was my minus 17 this morning and so we are trying to have the best balance of safety for those individuals and the people who are caring for them in those settings as well as making sure that we are not um, using a, a number uh, kind of between those mats and potentially then putting people at higher risk. And the final thing I would say is that we've also been working very hard to have screening programs to support shelter staff with uh, being able to check as people come into the shelters so that if they are feeling ill, uh, that they are either brought to a different part of that shelter or in, in some cities like in Edmonton, there's a different facility that's set up for those who are ill so that we don't have people who are ill in that same facility as people who are well. So there are multiple things we've done to keep those those people safe and again um, as we, we always do in public health we recognize that there are many risks to people and we have to consider the implications of action on one risk if it increases risk in another area. Okay we'll come back to the floor. Tom? Oh, one. <coughs> Sorry, just thank you, Doctor. I just wanted to add to that. Uh, when that uh, Dr. Henshaw's clarification came out, we'd had a problem in, with uh, some shelters refusing to admit people after a certain point because of the concern around crowding. And so what the effect was, sending hundreds of people out uh, during very cold weather, which could be worse for their health. And, uh, and so since then, we've been able to open up a number of overflow shelter spaces, as you know, the Expo Center here in Edmonton, the Convention Center in Calgary. Uh, there have also been uh, other facilities opened up to allow for greater spacing. Um, we provided $30 million in emergency support for the homeless shelters within days of the uh, first uh, COVID-19 case in Alberta. We worked very hard to ensure that uh, shelter workers have access to personal, personal protection equipment and uh, increased support from Alberta Health Services in terms of screening and training of staff and oversight of those facilities. I want to commend all of those working with the homeless. We acknowledge a uniquely vulnerable population uh, to a pandemic uh, and I believe that Alberta is, is doing a better job than any other Canadian province uh, in trying to prevent the spread amongst our homeless population. 
All right, go ahead, Tom. My question is for Minister Schultz, and it's on the, the child care spaces. Uh, it's been expanded to all essential service employees. That's not an insignificant list on the government website. Uh, I imagine the number of spaces is finite right now. How will these be doled out? How can people know if they are, are qualified and, and, and rank on who gets a spot? Maybe who does Sure, that's a great question. And so uh, a week and a half ago, we had committed to opening up to 15,000 spaces across the province of Alberta to ensure that frontline health care workers and other essential services uh, had access to child care and that that wouldn't be a barrier to them doing their very important work. Over the last number of days, um, Dr. Henshaw's office, as well as Municipal Affairs, the Provincial Operations Centre, worked to uh, come up with a broader definition of what these essential services are. Uh, we initially opened up spaces, just over 4,000 spaces, in 10 communities across the province. Uh, however, we've identified um, up to uh, those 15,000 spaces as originally committed. Uh, yesterday, I had a call with the presidents of both RMA and AUMA, and we're working with Municipal Affairs as well as AHS to identify uh, other communities that we want to open spaces in. Uh, we have heard of four additional uh, communities that would like spaces, and we're working on that. We have those centers identified. However, already um, of the 4,000 spaces that had already opened up, we're at about 8% capacity, so even though the list is a lot greater in terms of those workers who will be accessing spaces, we do believe that we have the space uh, open currently. Great. Um, operator, can you put through the next caller, please? Next question is Michael King with Global News. Go ahead, Michael. Uh, hi there. Quick uh, clarification from uh, Dina Hinshaw and then also just a question. Uh, number one, the uh, man in Calgary zone. Uh, can you confirm which, uh, if he was from a senior's home, which senior's home? Uh, so that um, individual was from a senior's home, uh, but not the Mackenzie Town long-term care. Uh, so that individual uh, was from the Care West Glenmore Park Centre. Perfect. And then one quick question. We've been seeing a call for action in terms of testing for people with antibodies. Is that going to be happening anytime soon in Alberta? So our lab is working to validate the antibody testing. It's a blood test. It's called serology. And essentially what that does is it uh, tests somebody to see if they have been exposed and then their immune system has been able to mount a response against the virus. So it would be able to tell um, kind of who all had had the infection, uh, kind of looking backwards, I guess. It wouldn't tell us who is currently infected and able to spread. It just tells us who has had it at some point in the past. So we are looking at that. Our lab is actively working on determining which methodologies are appropriate. Uh, and we are working on a testing strategy that will lay out where we think serology will fit in our ability to control this virus in addition to the swab testing that we're currently doing. Uh, but it will take a little while, again, to make sure that we have the right methods, that we have the right uh, plans in terms of how we use that. Uh, and so we do anticipate that that will be coming in the, in the weeks ahead, those specific plans. You've been listening to Dr. Dina Hinshaw's uh, daily media update. It actually started with Premier Kenny today and was talking about some changes that he'd like to see for the truckers on our roadways. Um, when we got down to it, uh, they reported 117 new cases uh, in Alberta, bringing that total to 871. And one of the reasons for a big jump in that number was they, they processed a record number of tests over the past 24 hours, like 4,500 of them. We have 
had two more deaths in Alberta from COVID-19. We have a total of 11 now in the province. We'll take a break here. Eileen Bell will update you with uh, news headlines and then we'll, uh, we'll break it all down.